0: Had the annual meeting last Wednesday, the previous Wednesday, I just did a little devotional on a on a video, and uh, an unnamed character, uh, just for a brief devotional uh, thought in that uh, video. So it's actually been a few weeks since we've had our our Bible study in here uh, with a Bible character. But tonight we'll look at Stephen, deacon Stephen, the preaching deacon, and. Philip was another preaching deacon, and it doesn't mean that every deacon has to be a preaching deacon, that these two in particular were gifted by God, and not only did they serve in the early church as uh, deacons, but they also were uh, given the, the ministry, uh, the gift of prophecy in that sense, and that they were preachers, uh, not uh, though those, um, Stephen was even given uh, miraculous uh, ability uh, similar to the apostles, uh, we see him in Acts chapter number six as one of the deacons that were chosen by the early church. And here we see the office of uh, the deacon being established in Acts chapter number six. And in these excuse me, and in those days, verse number one of Acts 6. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. From my understanding, both of these groups were Jews, but there were the Greek-speaking Jews, and then there were the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And that's where the two groups uh, were divided. And the Grecians felt like their widows were being neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude... And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So we see the office of deacon established, and Stephen being chosen by the church, we see the congregation, we see the brethren, we see the believers as a congregation. We don't see a denominational leader from the city of Jerusalem who presides over the early church in some sort of pope-type role. We don't see that. We see the believers together as a congregation with the wisdom of the apostles, praying, seeking God's will and god led those people by the spirit of god to get the help of a group of seven men and they were given the title of deacon diakonos servant and it doesn't mean that every church has to have seven deacons it just is establishing the office of the deacon And seven happened to be the number that they needed at that time for practical purposes, led of the Lord, to have seven men to help with specifically at that particular time in that context with the daily ministration to the widows as there was this division. And again, as we see so often, and it's true right here, it's been true in every ministry I've been in, When God is working, Satan is constantly trying to divide. And one of the ways that Satan tries to divide is to get believers to get mad at each other and to mistreat each other and to nitpick at each other and to take offenses and then find confederates and then overreact and on and on we could go with all of the ways in which Satan tries to divide the church of God and divide God's people. And many times we nitpick at each other. And I was listening to Sam Jones tell a story the other day of some chickens who henpecked another hen and they literally ripped the intestine out of the other hen. They grouped up on this one hen and they were running around the yard. And he said it looked like some string or something. And it happened to be the intestine of the hen that they had henpecked. And that's the way sometimes believers are. We will henpeck each other. And Satan is an accuser of the brethren. And he loves to get believers to sit there and accuse each other. And we will have all these enemies outside the church and then we'll die by friendly fire if we're not careful. And there's so many ways in which Satan is trying to destroy the church from without, and yet sometimes churches implode from within because people can't get along. And oftentimes I have found just by going to someone in the right spirit and having a decent conversation and allowing them to speak their part and for me to speak my part, I have found nine times out of ten the problem goes away. Not always, but nine times out of ten the problem goes away. Because both sides are able to hear each other out and with the help of the Holy Spirit, with application of biblical principles, the problem can be resolved. And we see that here with the help of the apostles, with the leadership of the spirit, with unity among the brethren. These seven men are chosen. The congregation lays their hands on them with the apostles blessing and the problem goes away. The church is not divided. There isn't a big schism. And what do we see as a result of that? The word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And then who does God lead to step out and to preach the word of God boldly and to proclaim the truth? It's Stephen. And we see him. His name means wreath or crown, and we know what uh, happens with Stephen, but let's look at uh, his life tonight uh, just briefly from this account here. And We won't be able to read all of the verses in these two chapters, but verse 8 of Acts 6. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So Stephen, if we were to take time to go to 1 Timothy 3, and Titus 1, where we see the office of the deacon and we see the... The qualifications for the deacon, we we don't necessarily see the exact same qualifications as the pastor, because there's a difference in their giftedness. But nevertheless, we do see the two offices. As a Baptist church, we believe in two offices: the pastor and the deacon. Elder is the man, bishop is the office, pastor is the The work or the shepherding they're all the same man but the deacon is a servant and we have four uh, good men who i am blessed to work with who are servants who love the lord and it's been a joy to serve together with them Uh, our previous ministry had as many as 15 deacons and uh, various numbers uh, throughout the years i've been in many 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 deacons meetings and business meetings through the years. And I'm thankful that I haven't been in one bad one. I've been in some very tense ones. I've been in some very strong ones, but I am thankful that I have not been in a, what I would say, a bad deacon's meeting where there were uh, insults being hurled or tension that you could cut with a knife, though there was one very... uh, very hard deacons meeting that we had uh, at one point in our ministry uh, many years ago. But I'm thankful for our deacons. And here we see Stephen, in a sense, being called of God, rising to the occasion. And this is not that he is setting the standard for all deacons. He was specially used of God as a deacon, having also the gift of prophecy to preach and proclaim the truth. And he does so boldly. But we see that the office of the deacon in Acts 6 and verse 5, that word deacon, it means a servant. They are servants to the church. Of course, in Acts chapter 7, we see that Stephen, as we know the story well, he is stoned as he preaches boldly and courageously. And they take up stones and they murder him. And he is considered the first martyr Of the church there in Acts chapter number seven. But we're going to look at several characteristics of Stephen tonight. First of all, he was full of faith. He was full of faith. We see that in verse number five. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. Now you'll notice I've made at least two mistakes already tonight. First of all, I forgot to change the date on the prayer list. Tonight is February 8th. The second mistake is I forgot to add the outline to the prayer list. I realized it right after I had printed all the copies. And I was like, I didn't add it. So I didn't want to go and print another 40 copies. So, sorry you don't have the uh, the blanks to fill in. But we see, first of all, that Stephen was a man full of faith. He believed God and he acted with courage. We drop down to verse number 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So he was gifted of the Lord, and he exercised his gifts in faith, believing. He didn't bury his gift in the dirt and not use it. He recognized his giftedness. He had a burden for the Lord, and he went out and he served with it. And God used him in a tremendous way. It was only for a short period of time. It wasn't for a long, long 20, 30, 40, 50 years of ministry. It was for a short time. But Stephen filled that short time to the max, helping in the church as a deacon and then preaching, and eventually he would be a martyr who would set a example, powerful example and testimony, and his dying prayer was answered, I believe, in the conversion of Saul, who would become Paul, because they laid the coats at whose feet? As they stoned Stephen, they took off their outer garment, they took off their jackets, their their outer coats, and they laid him at Saul's feet. And Saul watched as Stephen died, as he put his blessings upon that murder of Stephen. Stephen's dying, and his dying prayer is for the Lord not to hold this sin against, or to lay this sin against their charge. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The same prayer that Jesus had at the cross, a very similar prayer Stephen had, which, again, I tend to believe that God answered that prayer, first of all, in Saul's conversion, and then, of course, we know how Paul was used of the Lord. So he was a man full of faith. He was also full of the Spirit. He was controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led Stephen. God led Stephen. Stephen was in tune with the Holy Spirit's leading in his life. The Holy Spirit had control of every aspect of Stephen's life. Of course, we know that Stephen was a sinner who had to come to Christ in repentance and faith. He's one of the few people in the Bible who we don't see anything negative said about him. But we know that he, tr- he also had to truly be saved by faith alone and Christ alone. But we see him as a man who submitted to the Holy Spirit, to the Spirit's leading in his life. He wanted God to use him, and God did. And we see that there in verse number 5 again of Acts chapter 6. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. And then we drop down to chapter 7 in verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. We also see Stephen as a man full of grace. A man full of grace, Acts 6 and verse number 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. God gifted him with a gift of grace, the powers, the miracles, and he exercised those gifts for the Lord. And then we see that he then turned and he ministered with that gift of grace, with those abilities that God had given him, with those spiritual gifts. And we see also in chapter 7, in verse 60, that that grace humbled him and gave him a love and a compassion, even for those who were murdering him. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Would it not be a blessing? Not that we want to die tomorrow or tonight for Christ. Not that any of us want to experience a stoning. Now, I have been hit with stones on a few occasions in my life, pebbles, small stones. But there was one time, I was about first or second grade, and I was out with one of my friends. And we did something really dumb. As first or second grade boys would do, we picked up a big rock out in the yard. And we thought it would be a lot of fun to start throwing it back and forth to each other. Okay, this is how little boys sometimes think, just not really smart. So we start backing up further and further to see how far we could throw this thing. And my friend Mark and I were going back and forth, back and forth, and he would get a little further away, and I'd get a little further away. And then one time, he chucked that thing, and it went right through my hands and right into my stomach. And I would drop to my knees, and I thought I was going to die right there on the spot. It knocked the breath out of me. And if you've ever had your breath knocked out of you for that one or two seconds there, you're like, I'm going to die. I'll never, I'll never breathe again, you know, and I'm like... And, In my my little brain, as a six, seven-year-old kid, I'm thinking, my mom and dad, they're going to kill me. Well, I'm going to die right here, and they won't have an opportunity to kill me, you know? It'll all be over. And then finally I gasped, and I was able to get my breath back, and I looked up at Mark, and I was like, "Whoo!" don't tell my mom and dad what we just did. He goes, I won't, I won't tell If you won't tell my mom and dad, I won't tell yours. You know? And we had one of those, one of those um, secret packs that we wouldn't tell each other's parents how dumb we were throwing a rock, a big rock back and forth to each other. But Stephen was murdered by stones. He was being crushed by these stones. And in that moment, he's still filled with the Holy Spirit. He had the grace of God to pray for his enemies to love them and to pray for them, to repent of their sins, and to turn in saving faith to Christ. He was full of power. We've seen that again uh, already in verse number 8, where we read, and Stephen, full of faith and power, the power of God in his life, not the power of self, not that Stephen drummed up all of this effort on his own in by his own strength and his own effort and his own techniques and all of the persuasive skills that he had. No, this was of the Lord. He was yielded to the Lord. He was led of the Lord. He was empowered by the Lord. And he became an instrument for God. And he preached an incredible sermon. If we only had the time to read through all 60 of these verses in chapter number 7, we would see a man who preached. And he preached with conviction. He preached with power of the Holy Spirit. And when it came down to making application in verse 51, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Wow. That is powerful stuff that brought conviction now as far as I know in all of my sermons that I have preached through the years I can't remember ever telling the people I was preaching to ye stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart I can't remember ever using those phrases okay but it does I'm not saying the team was wrong obviously he was led of the spirit to do that but I'm just referring to the the the, the conviction in the willingness by the power of God to reprove and to rebuke and to do so with long-suffering and doctrine. What an example. And sometimes we have to speak the truth in love, don't we? And sometimes we do have to be a little bit on, not the harsh side, not on the mean side, but on the tough love side. We have to just speak it with compassion with grace with meekness but we have to say this is the way it is this is the way it has to be thus saith the lord and that's where stephen was at he knew he had to bring the application to get those religious leaders because he loved he loved them as much as they hated him he loved them enough that he preached the truth to them and called them to repentance. And brought the application home where, yes, it hurts. But it's a reminder to me as a pastor, as a preacher, that I sometimes have to to make the applications. I sometimes have to bring the strength of truth in such a way that uh, the people will sit up and listen, hopefully. Because I care for their souls. And Stephen cared for their souls, and he brought the truth, and he brought it with power. He was a man full of light, Acts 6 and verse number 15, where we see, and all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Here is a man, this is not talking about how handsome he was, this is not talking about some charismatic persuasive quality that he had, it's that they recognized as he began to preach, as he began to put himself in a place where he would speak to the people as the mouthpiece of God, he came to them in such a way that his life, that his even his visage, his face, reflected the glory of God. Now, we're not probably going to see our... Faces turn into angelic type lights. <laughs> we, we may see our spouse as uh, angels. And we refer to them as honey and, and sweetheart. And uh, have you ever been in a McDonald's drive-thru and everybody is sweetheart and honey? You ever, you ever been in, in those? And I'm like, I'm not your honey. <laughs> I'm not your sweetheart. But everybody is sweetheart and honey, especially down south. It's not that It's not that he had some sort of Uh, sweetheart honey kind of talk like a, a good southern type of vocabulary it's that he was so led of the lord so called of god and so determined to do the lord's will that his very face reflected the glory of god and i can't help but make the application about our own lives and the way we live Do we reflect the glory of God? Does our life draw attention to who God is, to his word? Does our life reflect the character qualities that God would have us that are Christ-like, that are the fruit of the Spirit, the virtues of 2 Peter 1? And Stephen did. Again, Thinking of that sermon in Acts chapter 7, we don't have time to read all 60 verses, but he preached a textual sermon full of Scripture. He knew the Old Testament. We don't know how much of the New Testament he had seen in his hands up to this point. Uh, I would imagine he at least had um, some measure of uh, the the Gospels, but I don't know exactly how much he had read or seen uh, at this point early in the book of Acts. But he obviously had been under the teaching and preaching of the apostles. He obviously knew the Old Testament. He obviously knew the faith once delivered to the saints. He obviously knew the apostles doctrine and he preached it and he proclaimed it with boldness. And he used the word of God throughout his sermon. He wasn't preaching persuasive words of man's wisdom. He was preaching the word of God. I watched a YouTube video this morning of a preacher who had a fancy sports car up on the platform at church and he gets in the he gets in the fancy sports car and he's making all these applications using the rearview mirror and the side mirror and the windshield and all the things that he was trying to be relevant to the congregation because he had very little to say that was scriptural but he had a really nice fancy application with this fancy sports car And then he got out of that sports car and he got into one of his excited ranting and raving and motivational type speeches. And I looked at that and he was making a mockery of the pulpit. Well, he didn't even have a pulpit. He had a little stand. And he didn't really have anything to do with the Bible, with what he was saying. And he had this fancy sports car up there. I don't even know how we can get a fancy sports car in here. Maybe we can get a Harley or something. No, I'm joking. I'm joking joking. I want nothing to do with that kind of sensational preaching. I want nothing to do with putting Harleys and sports cars and all the the flashy sensational stuff that people think that they have to use in order to get people excited about the things of God and then try to sneak some watered down gospel in underneath or under or through those watered down illustrations. It's sad that the platforms and the pulpits in the podiums of our churches today have in some cases turned into circuses and what a disappointment as i saw this man using this sports car to try to make an illustration and make a point and it was just a bunch of fluff no stephen preached a textual sermon full of scripture he was a man full of wisdom he rightly applied the truth verse number three wherefore brethren look ye out among you seven men of honest report full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. He knew the word of God, and he knew how to apply it. He had knowledge of God, knowledge of God's word, and he rightly applied it. Because wisdom is not just having knowledge, but using it for right choices, using it for the Lord, to do his will, to, to, to do the Lord's work, to teach others, to reach others. It's taking the knowledge of God and living it out, applying it, and and not just soaking it up and letting it sit, but actually putting it into action. I often say that faith has work boots on, or faith has tennis shoes or hiking boots on. Faith has action to it. Faith has effort. Faith has works. After we get saved, we are called to good works, as we talked about on Sunday, as we know so well from Ephesians 2 and verse 10, that we're not called... And we're not saved just to sit around. We're we're saved to go out and to live that faith and to exercise that faith for the Lord. And Stephen did that. He rightly applied the truth. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. And he was a man full of courage. I mean, again, I even talked about his application there in verse 51. And he continued that application and We see how strong he was, even down to his death. We see there, and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And then, of course, at the end of that, he kneeled down, cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He was a man of bravery and courage, and it was of the Lord It's because he depended upon the power of God. He was led of the Spirit. And then finally, he was a man full of love. He loved, even down to the end, he loved his enemies enough to give them the truth that would save their souls. And little did he know, and now in heaven, together in the presence of God, Paul and Stephen are together in the presence of God, and little did Stephen know at the time that his head is being bashed with stones. And as he prayed, lay not this sin to their charge, that there would be a man there who his testimony, his sermon, and even in his death, and in his dying words of prayer, God would use to save a man named Saul, who would be Paul, who would be an incredible servant of the Lord, an apostle to the Gentiles who God would use in a tremendous way. And Stephen, unbeknownst to him, would have a part in influencing that man. We don't know, do we, who we're influencing. We don't know how we are affecting other people's lives. But if we do right, and we have courage to stand for what is right and to obey the truth, we never know how God will use us in the lives of others and use our example for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Stephen, for his life, for his example. Lord, we may not ever come to a place of martyrdom like Stephen, but Lord, may we have the bravery and the courage, even the the tough love to proclaim the truth and to stand boldly for the Lord and for the Word of God and not compromise, but Lord, with meekness and humility, even pray for our enemies and do good to them and call them to Christ and give them the gospel, and uh, love them by your grace. And Lord, we never know how you might use us to influence someone for Christ as we take a stand, as we do what's right, as we remain faithful to the truth of the Word of God. Lord, we pray that you will guide and direct us throughout the remainder of the week, uh, that we'll love you and serve you. pray for protection, for safety. pray for all these different needs in our church. We give each one to you, and we thank you again for our time together tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here.